With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello and welcome back to the Carlton Brew Podcast. My name is Dan Rowlandson and we're here to talk about Aston Villa 1. No, Wolves 0, Aston Villa 1. Um, a late goal at Molyneux again this time this year. It, it counts for something. We scored late there last year, didn't we? I think Trezeguet possibly picked up a, a meaningless goal at Molyneux last year. El Garza this time with a 94th minute penalty and it's uh, another win on the road for Aston Villa. A bit of a rambling intro, wasn't it? I know, yeah, I got, my, I got it all wrong, didn't I? I thought we were like, I mean, I'll tell you, I got it wrong. We just had a message from James Rushton in our works group chat saying that he thought it was a three o'clock kickoff and he's missed the whole thing. So, not a great start for us here at the Clark Blue podcast. Have you got your head screwed on correctly? I have my, got my screw. <laughs> Let's rattle through it. Loads of yellow cards. Brilliant performance by Martinez. Two players miss the next game. Um, check out our Petrov Ped, 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 podcast. Great to see you. Um, all right, let's compose ourselves. Let's talk about it. I've got some notes for change, so this could keep us back on track. Um, we'll start with uh, Jacob Ramsey being in the lineup. Now, I put on Twitter saying, uh, this is when the team news came out, what does that say for Nakamba and Harahan's Aston Villa careers? And people rightly said, well, Nakamba doesn't really play the same position, which, yeah, that's fair enough. But Harahan, it seemed like he'd be a shoe-in to come in and replace um, Barker, who's been missing. And we'd go back to how we started the season with Ramsey, with um, Harahan starting games. And then at half-time, I'm seeing people saying, oh, maybe we needed Harahan's experience. Jacob Ramsey hasn't done that great. I thought Jacob Ramsey did okay. I know everyone sees the game differently, but I didn't think he did, did enough to, work, to warrant coming off. And he, in the end, he's played... 93 minutes or so? Yeah, I think um, I think Dean Smith before the game, didn't he, um, said he, that, that you know he expected big things of Ramsey, but it was a little bit harsh on, on Harahan. I think it makes sense. I think it makes sense to blood him properly now. Uh, Harahan's coming towards, I think he's in the final year of his contract. The jury's out, isn't it, um, on the, comp, the, the impact that he can make in the Premier League. It's been a brilliant bargain for Villa. Kind of, mm. I know we'll speak about Ramsey in a minute. He's been a brilliant bargain for Villa, Conor Harahan, and I don't think he owes Villa anything, really. I think, you know, he's obviously had his own journey up through the divisions to actually get in the Premier League. He's one hell of an achievement. And we know what he can do from dead ball situations. We we know what he can do <laughs> from dead ball situations. <laughs> Probably makes him sound more of a one-trick pony than he is, but we know that he, he struggled to, to impact Premier League Premier League matches by dominating the, the middle of the park. Mm. Probably say the same today for Jacob Ramsey, who didn't dominate, but I thought he was. I thought he was steady. I thought he was comfortable. I don't think he looked like a rookie who was yeah. rabbit in the headlights at any stage. Um, I thought that Villa, um, obviously, I think I thought I thought Villa, although Wolves, and we'll come to this later, but although Wolves had more shots on target and made Martinez work a lot harder than Patricio did, I thought. Villa dominated, which sounds strange because if you look at the, the possession stats, I think they just, I think Wolves just shaded it. But I thought that Wolf, that, that Villa had had the better of the midfield and had had most of the better approach play. Uh, and I think Ramsey was was a component in that. I don't think he was outstanding. I think it, 
a kind of full 90 minutes or 93 minutes in the Premier League will, will do him more good than playing Conor Harahan in there when we know what all about what Conor Harahan can and can't offer. Yeah, I agree. I think it would have been quite easy as well for, for Ramsey to have shied away a little bit today. I know it's not a local derby in the sense that there's fans there and it's a, a hard atmosphere, but it's still, it's still a big game. It was a tough game. And it could have been his first Premier League start and he kind of moved the ball on quickly and, and tried to keep it simple. He ran with the ball quite a few times. I thought he was brave. He always wanted to be in possession. It's a, it's a good start, isn't it? We've seen good things from him in the League Cup games that he's had. He's coming now and displaced kind of how high we all thought we would be expected to come back in. And now you think that if Villa do get hit with an injury in midfield, Douglas Louise misses out, for example, uh, against Burnley, maybe Ramsey keeps his place now. Pretty interesting because there's that decision to make. Next week now, with, with Douglas Louise being, being sent off and, and missing that game on Thursday, you know, like you you're saying earlier, it's probably in a Canberra who's probably going to come in um, mm. for Douglas Louise. But what that, that's a dilemma for Smith. Does he think that, that Ramsey did enough to, to put him ahead of, of Harahan? Um I thought, yeah, I, I was pleased to see him. You know, I, I think sometimes we kind of clamour a little bit too much for, for our homegrown players, you know, the kind of one of our own type thing. But I do think think Smith, you know, it's, an, it's a Villa team in transition this year. Yeah. Did the business last year by staying up, trying to kind of kick on this season. We need Dean Smith wants to look at what Villa can be in the next two or three years. And with respect to Conor Harahan, that's probably not going to include him. And yeah. Won't know whether it will include Jacob Ramsey unless we see him thrown into situations like this. So, you know, I thought it was a as, was an encouraging, very encouraging decision for the manager in the first place to to put him in there, and I thought it was promising from Ramsey. I don't think it was anything more than that. I don't think we can proclaim him as a as a as a new Jack Grealish Academy graduate world beater, but I think it's it's an, it, it shows an insight into to the workings of Smith's mind that he wants to kind of give this guy a test to see whether he can can kind of make a shirt his own there. Talk about Emmy Martinez. Uh, Paula says Martinez proving again what a great buy he was. Like you said, Wolves made him work a few times, but there's a few great saves in there as well. Strong right hand a couple of times. One from Den Donk, I think, was the was the standout one. Um, really good goalkeeper, isn't there? There was one moment I've written it, written, it, written it down in my notes where I think someone, one of the defenders is coming towards it and you can hear him shout keeper because of the uh, the empty stadium. It's like, yeah, he's commanding. You, you can tell that he's, um, he's the rock that leads that defence and um, as much as they were talking about Matty Cash missing out and that disrupts Villa's back line a bit, you feel confident with, with Martinez behind them, don't you? That whoever, kind of whoever plays in front of them, that last line of defence being Emmy Martinez is usually going to keep more things out than not. You don't expect him to make a, a silly mistake or anything. That was a crucial moment, wasn't it? Like you said, we, we'd seen what he can do as a snot, as a snot stopper. God, I'm, I'm struggling there. As a shot stopper. <laughs> <laughs> snot stopper? I've never heard that phrase before. Um <laughs> We've seen how he can he can save shots, but it was a really kind of nice insight into into his command of the box. That not only did he make that, you know, I think there were there were bodies flying in when he's done that when he shouted keeper. But not only has he been brave enough to say, "Yeah, I'm going to take control of this situation," almost to all his defenders, particularly Ezri Konza, clear out the way. But Konza's listened to him and thought, "Well, yeah. I trust him enough. To, you know, this is a hairy situation, but I trust him enough to if he says he's got it, he's got it." Um, and if you just compare and contrast to the last time that we, we played Wolves and probably digging out Neuland a little bit here, but it was the game when Neuland's bowled the ball out to uh, yeah, Diego, yeah. Diego Jota, and I think he's, he's spanked it in the stands, fortunately. You don't expect that. You don't expect Martinez to, to, to throw one in like that, um, which is a good thing. It's a good thing as a football fan, knowing that your goal is going to come to the rescue. It's a good thing as a defender as well. Um, I don't attempt fate by Martinez dropping one next week. Uh, 
But yeah, some of the some of the saves were brilliant. And, and there's, also the one where there's also the one where he's come rushing out like a sweeper keeper and, and took a boot to the neck as well. Bravery yeah. is something you want to see in a goalkeeper. If I was playing in that defence, you'd look back and think, yeah, I feel comfortable knowing that he's there behind them. Well, yeah, and you know we've still got Tom Heaton to come back. Um, yeah. It's it's a position that we we're not lacking. Well, we're certainly not lacking. And I think Dean Smith named about six goalies in his Premier League squad, didn't he, at the, uh, earlier in the season? But no, I thought I thought it was brilliant. It was, it was thoroughly deserved. And let's face it, it's given Villa the platform to go and go and get a win that we probably didn't think yeah. was going to happen until you know the, the the dying seconds of the game. There's a comment coming. There's a lot of comments coming in. I don't know if I'm going to find it. That uh, from Prez Omar, who says "smash and grab," love it up the villa. Would you describe it as a smash and grab? Because as much as you said that, cause it's a weird one, isn't it? Because you were saying that it feels like Villa have dominated the game to an extent, but Wolves have probably had the better chances. And then we've got a nicked penalty that was a penalty and took it away. Lovely, Algarzi did. Um, so does that count as a smash and grab? I don't think it's quite a smashing grab. I think if Villa had been under the cosh non-stop, listen, I know we've talked about Martinez making a string of good saves, but it wasn't as if it was kind of wall-to-wall, Wolves pressure all through the game. But I think any team could have won it in the end, but fair play, we've had had some real horrible last gas setbacks, haven't we, in recent weeks. Kind of VAR has done us over uh, against West Ham. It's done us over against Brighton. So... About time, I was going to say, um, I was thinking earlier, you know, the, the old cliche, these things even themselves out over the course of the season. I was thinking, well, Villa would have to get about 47 decisions in the last game of the season to even mm-hmm. out some of the bad luck that's gone against us. But um, again, cliche, but you have seen, you've certainly seen that, those kind of things given against Villa and that bad luck going, going against Villa. So I'm glad that we've had, a, not only have we had a penalty call that's gone in our favour, and it was a clear penalty, but we've yeah. stuck it away in the last minute and got a, got got the result that probably our performances in recent weeks deserve. To be fair, I'm sick of talking about VAR to an extent on these podcasts. But you watch that, and the, the, the game carries on, and in about 25 seconds, they've gone right, oh, yep, check complete, no penalty. And you, you think, oh well, they must have watched the replay, and it's clearly hit the far side of his face or his stomach or whatever. And it's clearly not a handball. You move on, and then BT show the replay, and his arms come out like this. It's like then Peter Wharton comes on going, oh, well, his arms come out and where's he, where's he supposed to put his arm? It's not an unnatural position. It's like his arms come out like this. He's brought his head down as well, almost as if he's trying to look as if he's headed it. It's a clear handball, isn't it? And ultimately, at the end of the day, that's not cost us because we've gone on and won anyway. But you've seen things less than that giving us penalties. So how within 30 seconds, they've just gone, yeah, check complete, move on. And that's clearly a handball. It's all that stuff about... Um... I thought he was talking about a crash test dummy rather than um, rather than a footballer because he's talking about the the crumple zone, uh, <laughs> the highlighting in little bits of the player's arm with red and green and all this kind of stuff. And it was, I don't know, I, I don't know. It's, it doesn't matter ultimately, but it's just annoying. It's inconsistent again, isn't it? Yeah, I don't like Peter Walton either. I prefer Mark Halsey. <laughs> no, Mark Halsey have been all over that. If you're going, oh, it's a definite better. Your new mate. Yeah, if you've not uh, seen the Mark Horsey podcast, little plug for that, go back and watch that. I talk about referees while we're on. The, the, the amount of yellow cards you got. Douglas Louise gets two yellow cards, which we'll talk about. Matt Cash gets one. Um, John McGeehan, Target, Concert and Grealish all get booked for Villa. Uh, Mark Dean picked up his 3,000th yellow card at some point during that in his career. I think 2,000 of those came this afternoon. Very card happy, isn't he, Mark Dean? You knew there was going to be a red card in this game. Ultimately, there was two in the end, but... Um, that's two players that Villa will miss against Burnley now on Thursday, I think that is, um, Douglas Louise and Matty Cash. Fortunately, I, I was thinking when it was um, Matty Cash just suspended, there's one place we can probably get by with having a, a suspension, it's right back with the amount that we've got, but 
Douglas Lewis will be will be a big miss in there, won't it? Yeah, on the yellow card thing, I've just been reading the BBC's report. I think they've used the phrase he was dishing out cards like a Las Vegas croupier, which was uh, quite <laughs> quite nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, don't like I mean, I don't like Mike Dean. We know that he's he likes to be the centre of attention. We know that he kind of likes to wheel away celebrating goals against Aston Villa in the past. Uh, you've seen that clip, haven't you? Yeah, the Tottenham one. <laughs> Tottenham scored back yeah. in the day. Yeah, I don't think there were any that were blatantly. Do you know what I mean? It's I'm just, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna words out in a minute. Yeah, there's many that you complain about, but it's, it just seems you don't normally get six bookings in a game, do you? Is my point. No, well, and listen, the Wolves seem to get away with a few as well. I thought as well. Yeah, well, he's levelled it up by the sending off at the end um, for Matinho, but it's more about what it does for Villa going forward. Um, you know, Matty Cash, Gilbert was on the bench today, wasn't he? So there's Gilbert and Al Mohamedi who were battling for 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 that that slot against Burnley. Um, I think it probably will be Nakamba coming in for Douglas mm-hmm. Luiz. It's frustrating because, you know, we probably haven't heard too much about those players, Louise and uh, and Cash, because uh, it's been, you know, Watkins and Grealish and Barkley when he's played and Trezeguet missing chances. <laughs> people, Other people have had, had the attention, but I think that I think Cash and, and Douglas Louise have been two of Villa's better, better players during the start of the season. Um, and this is what we knew would happen. Dan, we've talked about the the Villa starting eleven, and I think they were saying that nine of those eleven have been been ever present uh, yeah. for most of the most of the season. So, well, for all of the season, if they're ever present. Um, <laughs> but this is where we get to the point where you've got to scratch beneath the surface and see what Villa's squad looks like. Um, and it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for the, those guys to come in and, yeah. and give D- Dean Smith a headache because I don't think they're going to get too many opportunities. I think Dean Smith knows what we all suspect that that he's got a, a strong core of. 12 or 13 players and he's going to keep his fingers crossed that he doesn't have to dig too deep beyond that um, this is the time of the season where he's going to have to dig dig deep um, injuries injuries to Barkley an injury to, to Trezeguet uh, and now two suspensions so we've got to see what Villa have got haven't we see what the supporting cast have got before we talk about the replacements for those two what was the update on Barkley I remember seeing something the other day did they target the Burnley game for his return or was it the one after that do you remember asking the wrong person here mate yeah, no. So, okay, right. to bring you an update on that. Okay, yeah. So, the, if the possibility of Barkley coming back in, would you have Barkley, McGinn, Ramsey as a three? Was that a bit, a bit too attacking? Would you? Because you've, you've you've lost the Douglas Weed role. So, would you rather have Nakamba, McGinn, Ramsey as a three, and then Ramsey or Barkley if Barkley's back fit? So does Ramsey just deserve to keep his place? I think you've got to have somebody who can. You've got to have a proper holder in there. I think, and I think. Probably you still would put Nakamba in there just to do that little bit of kind of patrolling in front of the the back four. Um, I don't know. Listen, if, if Barkley's fit, Barkley comes in for Ramsey, doesn't he? Regardless yeah. of, of how encouraging we think think Ramsey's been. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what Ashy's probably speaking to Dean Smith as we speak. So we'll see if there's any update on the uh, on the Barkley situation. Yeah, that's always one of those things, isn't it? We're doing this bang on full time, so things will change between now and obviously Thursday when we next play. But you like you said, if Bark is fit, he'll come straight back in. Um, right back, I suppose this is like I just said, we've got we've got options there. It's Gilbert or Elmo that's going to play. Who would out of those two, bearing in mind it's Burnley, who would you go for there? Because I'm I think it'll be El Mahamadi that will play. I think it possibly will be El Mahamadi. I'm probably seduced like a lot of Villa fans because I, I like Gilbert. I like his kind of up and at him, kind of real kind of. 
you know, he's got the pace, hasn't he? And he, he throws himself into everything. Whereas Al Mohammed, he probably does as good a, as good a job, but does it with, with, with a minimum of fuss, really. I think that, that Smith might lean towards Elmo. He's tending to have Elmo on the bench, hasn't he? Uh, yeah. I think we've seen some interviews from Gilbert, haven't we, in the French media early in the season when he's said that Smith made it quite clear that he was third choice now, um, behind, um, behind Matty Cash and, um, Ahmed Al Mohammedi. So, I feel I'd feel comfortable with either of them going in there yeah. from from a probably from a defensive point of view. I think Cash showed again today what he what he's capable of from an attacking point of view. Um I think he's you know, he, he likes to bomb forward and go on that overlap. Um but yeah, I, I think it probably will be Armo. If it was me, I'd say Gilbert, but you know, like I say, I'm probably uh, biased by the kind of blood and thunder approach that he brings. I think you can make a case of both. If you're looking at Burnley, you're going to play along and trying to play it in behind. Gilbert's pace to, to chase down balls is probably beneficial. If they're going to pump balls into the box and the back stick, Elmo clearing away headers at the back is probably what you want. I mean, it's a perfect example of, of different opinion. Two comments next to each other from on YouTube. Will Mason's put Elmo and the one underneath Corn. He says it's got to be Gilbert. So, like you said, you're probably comfortable with both there, aren't you? And whoever plays, you're not going to be thinking, oh, that's a... We're going to miss Matty Cash because I think he's clearly the best of the three, but I think both of those being understudies, you can make a case for either of them. I think what I would say, you know, probably Dean Smith had another option that he used at times towards the end of last season and he put Esri Conza there. That's not happening anymore. Esri Conza's, yeah. you know, staying staying as a as, as a solid centre-half. Um, so, now we'll see. It's... It's dilemmas for Villa, Villa to have, but I just think Smith will have been, he'll have been fuming, you know. I think when Matty Cash picked up a fifth fifth booking of the season, and then then Louise gets sent off. But I think his his mood may have mellowed slightly by by getting. He's probably taking an extra two points out of that game that he thought he was going to at one stage. Uh, so I think he'll just attack. He'll just attack the next game game with with confidence. Uh, you know, it's been it's been a really. Um, Really weird season so far, hasn't he? Villa are just refusing to do draws, aren't they? They just won't yeah. do draws, and even in the last minutes of of games. Um, but yeah, I'm witchering anyway. Next question. Next question. We're going to stack on fullback and talk about Matty Target. And there's been Matty Target gets a lot of stick, rightly so. Sometimes we, I think we spoke about him that he's a little bit flaky occasionally, and that if you had you know infinite budget, you'd think about improving left back. I thought he was very good this afternoon. You always look at it, don't you, and think, oh, trail right against Target, that, that'll be dangerous. I thought he, thought he did all right. A couple of slide tackles come in, a couple of blocks. I think he tracked back well. So I think as much as we're quick to, to throw, a bit of, throw a bit of shade at uh, Matty Target from time to time, you've got to praise him when he's played well. Well, he normally goes off after five minutes against trial. Right? <laughs> Neil, Neil Taylor comes on, so he must have known that Neil Taylor wasn't on the bench. Um, so I thought, yeah, I thought, I thought they handled trial right pretty well, to be honest. I thought they tried to double up on him when needed. Um, I thought Matty Target was was solid. Um, I thought the I thought the back. It's a weird thing to say because Wolves did did create you know did work work Martinez quite a lot, but I thought the back four looked decent ish. Um, mm. I think Mings has been done again, hasn't he? Been been caught on the halfway line again, overplaying uh, in the first first half. That was the one that um, that Martinez had to like like you say be the sweeper keeper. But I thought the black the the back four looked. Um, Looked decent, looked decent today, yeah. and another clean sheet away from home. He's he's pretty good going, I think. And Matty Target, yeah, definitely contributed towards that. Um, there's a lot of people asking about Trezeguet in the comments, and uh, again, that's probably one that Dean Smith will be asked about as we speak. BT said something about a cut to the head. I don't know whether that's something he's picked up in training or he's had a fall down the stairs or something. Um, <laughs> people are saying he's, he's done something to his hamstring, but the only thing BT have said is about this cut to a head, which you'd assume is just a, a clash of heads in training or something like that. 
the result of that is Traore comes in. Now, the game that he came on and got subbed on for Barkley, I can't remember when that was because memory's rubbish. I came on here and, and thought he did okay. And much of the, the comments dismay saying, oh, he wasn't, wasn't, wasn't anything special. I thought he did all right in that game. Today, especially in that first half an hour or so, every ball just seemed to bounce off him. He, he looked very uncoordinated. And, he, he, and you, you look at that right-hand side again and we've done our player of the year thing this, this week when we've put Trezeguet in there as a bit of a left-field shout and people go, Trezeguet, why he's not even that good? And then you look at Traore to come in as the, the player to oust Trezeguet from that side and he's not that great either. It's a bit of a problem position, isn't it, that none of them are that good, really? Yeah, we had we had two wingers going for one space last season with Trezeguet and El Ghazi. We've probably got three wingers now. Uh, I mean, El Ghazi didn't do much, did he, other than win the game with a with a, a cracking penalty? Uh, but maybe he he gets the shout because I agree that um, that Traore, our Traore, not theirs. Like you said, I just thought he was I thought he was careless in possession, mm. to be honest. Um, and you know, you're not always going to get wingers creating assists and, and scoring goals but you don't want them to you know sometimes you need them to be outlets who are giving you a bit of respite and, and helping you keep the ball and I don't think that was the case certainly in the first half I think he was marginally better second half um, but I think that that position's up for grabs if it was me you know and Trezeguet is fit again we'll wait, await an update from Smith's press conference to find out whether his bleeding head and poorly hamstring will recover in time for Burnley but he'd still be at the front of the queue out of those three yeah. to, to start in that position it's one of those ones, isn't it, where if you've got a set 11 and a set way of playing that Dean Smith has, the players who are going to infrequently kind of gate crash their way into that, they're going to get such limited chances. They've got to nail it. They've got to be brilliant, haven't mm. they? They've got to be 7, 8 or 9 out of 10s or even 10 um, during the brief games that they get. Otherwise, they're going to have to wait another, you know, I don't know, another month for their opportunity. Um I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think Traore did enough to to oust a fit again Trezeguet. To be honest, uh, and it's hard because, like I said, the longer you wait for your opportunities, the more rusty you're going to be. It's going to be harder to to make that impact. But that's what the Premier League's about, isn't it? And that's certainly what having a squad uh, in the Premier League is all about. So, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen Ash's player ratings. I'd be amazed if he gave him more than a six out of ten. Uh, mm. I might go and try and seek him out now and see what he said. Yeah, right, you come back to that. The, bo- the bonus of doing these live is that people don't have to scream at their podcast or podcast device or YouTube screen when we make a mistake. Everyone's saying that Trezeguet cut his head in the last game against West Ham when the penalty was given. Uh, a lot of people keen to point that out, so thank you for rectifying my error. I've forgotten all about that, so I'll just assume that that was two weeks ago. How is that still keeping him out of a match? Um, so, yeah, maybe it's something more than that. Like we said, we'll wait and see if anything comes of that. Also, a lot of comments coming in to say that West Brom are losing already. Lol. Uh, 23 seconds, Newcastle took the lead, apparently. So, no. Just a, an update for you. Ash has given Troy a four. Um, a four? Wow, okay. So, I think that's body fair. Yeah. Which seems brutal to me. We're... um. As a slight aside, we're looking um, we're looking to kind of not overhaul our player ratings, but we're looking to try and and I don't know whether this will happen in time for the new year or maybe in time for next season. We want to kind of try and set a benchmark benchmark for what player you know you could get you could get five reporters at a game and they could all see it differently, and that will still be the case. And obviously, that's the beauty of people bringing their own kind of uh, their own views to it. But what do, what does a seven mean? How good mm. or bad? to be to get a 7 out of 10 has anybody ever deserved a 0 
you know, has anybody ever deserved a 10? So we want to kind of, we're doing some, I know it's a bit of boring, boring information for you. We <laughs> this supposed to be a meeting. You do know there's 400 people watching this. It's a planning meeting. We do, we <laughs> want to do some, we want to do some work behind the back, but behind the scenes to, to kind of get the fans involved as well to almost measure what those benchmarks are, what those levels are. Uh, but clearly today will forever be, de- ever be defined as a four. Bernard Troy, <laughs> Bertrand Troy today was a four, apparently, according to Ashley Priest. So there you go. The player ratings and stuff like that is a bit like the legend hero icon debate, isn't it? Everyone's got their own own opinion. I think is six out of ten supposed to be average. Is that what people give as average these days? Like you start the game, you start the game, you start the game with a six out of ten, and if you if you don't do anything terrible, you, you maintain that. Yeah. If you do something brilliant, or do you know what I mean, then 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 it's your you've got scope and potential to climb from there. Um, I think I've only ever gave it, given a 10 once and it was Brad Goose and I went Sunderland in a, in a League wow. Cup game so there you go that's wow. the standard for everybody to aspire to <laughs> so 10 is Brad Goose and I went Sunderland okay noted um, he saved about four penalties to be fair to him just lastly on the, the Trezeguet El Ghazi uh, Traoré debate if they're all fit Trezeguet and Elmo against Burnley is the, the best combination because they link up good on that right hand side because as much of that right winger position is, is a bit iffy at the moment Having Matty Cash there to not come and overlap is going to be a big miss. So do you play Gilbert and say, will you push on and, and bomb on with Trezeguet and swap a little bit? Or do you want Elmer to be a bit more defensive and you say to Troy, you play wide, stay wide and stay out there? It feels like we've got a few options. And as much as we've talked about uh, Dean Smith and Villa not having many options behind that, beyond that first eleven, which is still true to an extent, you still look at it and think, well, there is a few things that Villa could do. But... If everyone's fit, Trezeguet comes in on that right-hand side and everyone will kind of look at him and go, he's okay, could be improved, but he's the best of the bunch. I think you've just you've just kind of answered your own question with the, the last phrase, the best of the bunch. Who's the best right-back? Who's the best right... You know, who's the best right-winger you've got and who's the best right-back back that, you've, that you've got? And you pick those and, you know, the professional players, you trust them to build their partnerships together um, and to, to work against whichever opponent they've got. I think Trezeguet, we've just said, if he's fit, he's the best option on the on the right wing currently. Uh, and again, he, he can, you know, he can probably put a cigarette paper between Gilbert and, and Elmo in terms of what they bring. If it was me, I'd go with Gilbert right back and Trezeguet right wing. Uh, but it's not me, fortunately. It's Dean <laughs> Smith, and I trust him to, to make a better call than I would. Talking to Dean Smith, that's his 500th game uh, in charge of, not Villa, but in management as a whole, to Warsaw, Brentford and Villa. Um, not a bad way, is it, to, to round up the, the 500 with a last-minute winner? 500? How many would you have had at Villa now? It was October 2018, was it? 2019? Oh, his first season, wasn't it? He, yeah. So, 100 then, perhaps. He's had, um, he had the promotion season, the back end of that, full last season, and then so far this season. So, yeah, 100 maybe, just over 100. I don't remember seeing a milestone at any point, so maybe it isn't even 100 yet. We'll have those up for another for a Dean Smith special podcast. Um, yeah. Coming soon to you. How soon, we don't know. We do the maths. <laughs> Wolves had the measure of us last season, other than we beat their kind of 15-year-old reserves, I think, didn't we? Um, yeah. But the the games, you know, particularly the game at Molyneux last season, I thought, I think they beat us 2-0, but they gave us a bit of a 2-0 spanking, I thought. Um, and I've had this feeling, I don't want to tempt fate because, you know, we look at the end of May and we'll see how the table looks, but I've had this <laughs> feeling we have kind of closed this gap on them oh, this season. Yeah. Um, I got that feeling before we, we, we went into the game and I thought it was a very, very even game. Uh, and I thought probably, you know, probably, well, obviously it could have ended in a draw, but 
I think Smith will be be encouraged because he he may use Wolves as a benchmark of what can be achieved quickly from a team that's an exciting team that's transitioning quickly and wanting to build. And I think he will have been encouraged by by closing that gap. Um, mm. not, well, in the in the league, we've obviously gone above them and still got two games in hand on them. Um, and I think the commentator said, obviously, that we, I think we we're going to touch on the Jimenez thing, but the commentator has said what a big miss Jimenez will be for Wolves and. I don't think they do kind of pose the same attacking threat without him. No. I thought Silva looked, you know, had, had a few moments, probably had the best chance of the game when he came back mm. off the post. But I think Wolves without Wolves are going to have to find a way to play without play without him. And whether they go into the, the transfer market in January, I'm not sure they will. It doesn't seem a very Wolves thing to do um, to kind of almost buy a, not a panic buy, but you know what I mean to to strengthen mid-season to that that effect. Um, They'll know how long he's out for. They haven't said, have they, yet how long this injury is going to be. It's been nice to see him back at the training ground the other day and he said we were going to touch on him. They had the, the aeroplane fly over, uh, saying get well soon. They had the big banner that the fans made. I know this is a Villa podcast, but you know, still a, a Midlands uh, Midlands rival and a Midlands neighbour. You never want to see a player go through such, such a horrific injury. Um, so, yeah, it's nice to see him back on his feet and, and back at the training ground. But like, from a football perspective, they, they do miss him and, I spoke to Alex with Ash um, yesterday to like preview the game, and he was saying you could take a player like Raúl Jiménez out of any team. It's like taking Harry Kane out of Tottenham, isn't it? He's a he's a very very good striker, and it's obvious to say that they're going to miss him. And, and what they do without him is, is the difference between them trying to break into Europe and, and the Champions League and, and a mid-table finish, probably. So, how long he's out for is a is a big concern for Wolves. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Wolves will finish in the European places without um, no. without Jiménez. To be honest, unless they pull off a, you know, like I say, we hope he makes a speedy recovery. Whether that speedy recovery is enough for him to to return to playing, you know, top flight professional football um, this season, I don't know. All right, I'll put me, I'll put me um, neck on the line here. I think Villa will finish above Wolves this season. Interesting. We've got a lot, of, we've got a lot of Wolves fans and Wolves people amidst our ranks in terms of who work with us and who, um, you know, the, the area where we live, you know, probably more. Yeah. You know, both in the Black Country, both in both in Powell's Owen, probably encounter more Wolves fans than the, than the average Villa fan. I think we can do it. You know, I think um, you know. God forbid we don't have any horrific injury, injuries of our own, but I think because Wolves are without this attacking threat now, and I think um, Villa Villa don't like drawing games. I think Villa will get enough points to finish above Wolves. There you go. Nice. Wave that. Wave that. Wave that in front of me at the end of the season when I'm wrong. All right, we'll clip that up ready on social media. Um, <laughs> couple of little points before we leave. Jason Kerr says that Smith's 100th game, 100th Villa game is Crystal Palace on Boxing Day, which is uh, on BBC. It'll be a nice Christmas Eve treat, won't it? Villa on the TV for everybody. Gruffalo's um, on that day as well. Is it? I think Grease is on after the game as well. Yeah. I'm surprised no one's made a, a joke about Greasy Grealish being on at three and then Grease at five or whatever it is. Gruffalo, Grealish and Grease. Nice, yeah. Um, and we'll finish with Toby Turner who says, Dan and Matt, what points would you like from the next three? Now, off the top of my head, I don't know what the next three are. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> Burnley at home. Yeah. I'll be in a way in Crystal Palace at home. Um, so, uh, no, I think, I think that, yeah, I think there's nine points to be out there. I know technically, yes, obviously three games, nine points available. But I, think get, I think we can seriously get the nine points. Um, I don't know where they are in the league. Burnley, I think, are in the bottom three. Albion are obviously, I was going to swear then, they're, they're rubbish. Um, and Crystal Palace are 12th, so 
if, if Villa are trying to push on to to get into a, a steady top half finish this season, or, or even better than that, and finishing in the top six, which sounds mental to say out loud, but Villa have got to be getting seven points out of those next three as a minimum to, to be on track to keep pushing on. If you come out of that and, and you're looking at four or three, then that's been a, a bad three games. But I think I think you can definitely come away with nine there. And I know it's the Christmas period and it gets busy and, and you can't just look at fixtures and go, oh yeah, well they're down the bottom, so that means we'll win. Because obviously I'm not silly enough to think it works like that. But a minimum seven points, possible nine, is what I think we'll get. What do you think? I'm disappointed we're less than seven. And I can actually... Mm. The cynic in the back of my head says, Matt, come on, this is Villa, and Villa have kind of thrown away points already, even this season, with games that we expected them to win and then gone and beaten the, you know, one games that we didn't expect them to win. But you're right, you know, two of those games are at home, and we know we haven't got a, you know, a, a full Villa Park cheering, cheering Villa on. Although, having said that, are we, we due, due a government announcement, aren't we? Um, in a couple more days to find out what tier we're in. So we could find, we're still not going to get a full Villa part, but who knows where that Boxing Day game could be the first game back that, that Villa have. A couple yeah. of thousand fans fans inside. Um, but yeah, seven, in answer to your question, you know, be great to, to go go and have a crack at all nine, but I think, I definitely think seven, seven are up for the taking. Yeah, Crystal Palace is the trickiest one there, I think. Burnley, it would be depending on whether we can break them down. Albion is a bit of a, obviously it's, the, it's a derby and everything and, cliche that anything can happen but they are terrible so I would, you know, if Newcastle can go, go ahead after 20 seconds I think Villa can break them down and then like I said yeah, Palace is, is probably the most difficult one there and that's Boxing Day and it is a, a little bit more hectic then but we've had a couple of weeks off haven't we compared to everyone else so I think Villa and Dean Smith will definitely go out there thinking let's attack it and, and get nine points and then you've got Chelsea on the on the 28th I think it is <clears throat> and uh, yeah you, you never know what happens we'll call it a day there because I can feel a start to ramble and lose our flow I've got through all my notes so that's why it's all gone downhill if you've been listening to this on iTunes after the fact or Spotify then drop down and leave us a review uh, they're, they're really much appreciated also I've got a little email for today from YouTube like our 2020 stats on Claret and Blue saying like your fans have listened to 150,000 hours of the podcast or something like that so I pity you all. I'm very sorry that you have to hear our droney voices. Um, and then I apologise to the YouTube community that you have to see our horrible faces as well. It must be really, really hard for you. Uh, your big fat bald head, as you always like to call it. Um, <laughs> not not great for myself, it's damn this. You always call it yourself. It's all right. We'll, uh, it's okay. We'll get you a wig or something for Christmas. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I'd like hair, I'd like hair like, um, like Silver, the wolf striker. I think it'd suit uh, yeah. me. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Uh, we've got a comment here that someone's watching from Australia. I love that. Um, but yeah, let's get out of here. Thank you very much. Thanks you all. And uh, we'll see you again on Thursday. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, up the villa. Up the villa.